What does God know? In previous podcasts, we have looked at what God is like and who God is. But what does God know? Is there anything God does not know? Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Ammons, and welcome to Truth 101, where we look at the Christian faith in a systematic theological way. Glad that you've joined us. And today we're looking at, continuing to look at, God's communicable attributes. So far, we've, we have looked at the character of God and started looking at his attributes, and theologians have divided his attributes up into incommunicable attributes and communicable attributes. Incommunicable, of course, being attributes that God does not share with humanity. For example, his independence, his unchangeableness, his eternal nature, uh, he's omnipresent. Humans do not share those characteristics with God. But now we're looking at some of the attributes that are communicable or ones that God does share with human beings. Of course, he has them in a great, in a much greater degree than we do, but yet we, born in his image or rather created in his image, we share those attributes with him. And those are called the communicable attributes. In our last podcast, we looked at the fact that God is spirit and we are part of us, part of humanity is spirit. We also looked at God is invisible and, and uh, to a degree we are as well as to who we are in our essence. And so we're going to look at Four more communicable attributes, two in this podcast and two in the next podcast, God's attributes, and one of them is God's omniscience or God's all-knowing. Second one is God's goodness, and we will end the podcast by looking at the uh, communicable attribute of God of His goodness. First of all, let's talk about God's omniscience or what does God no. I've had church members from time to time try to stump me with a, with a question and say, Pastor, can you tell me something God does not know? And of course, I say, well, there's nothing God does not know. And they say, oh, yes, there is. God never knows. He does not know a sin he doesn't hate. And he does not know a life that he cannot change. And he does not know a heart that he cannot mend. And, and they keep going. This is looking at God's knowledge from the negative or the passive aspect. In this discussion today, we're going to look at what God knows from an active viewpoint uh, and, or a positive viewpoint. What does God know? And of course, the Bible teaches that God is all-knowing. The word is omniscient, omni meaning all, and science meaning um, a cognitive ability. And so God is all-knowing. You may remember whenever Job was having a conversation with his friends, chapter 37, verse 16, Elihu, the young friend, spoke up and said, God is, quote, perfect in knowledge. You may remember John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. God knows everything. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about in what aspects does God know 
everything. First of all, I think we need to talk about God knowing himself. God knowing himself. Now, it's an amazing fact since God's own being is infinite or unlimited. Of course, only he who is infinite can fully know every detail of himself. And Paul talks about that, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11, where he, when he says the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, end quote. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. So this idea of God knowing himself is also suggested by John in 1 John 1, 5, whenever he said, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So in that context, light has a suggestion of both moral purity and full knowledge, and so if there's no darkness at all in God, and he's entirely light, that means that he must have all self-knowledge of who he is. So the first aspect of God's omniscience, I believe, is God, first of all, knowing himself and who he is. But let's talk a little further. God's omniscience, I believe, also teaches that God knows all things actual and all things possible. God, th all things actual that are actually happening, but he also knows all things possible that could happen. So let's, let's talk a little bit about both. First of all, God knows all things actually, things that have happened, things that exist. God knows everything that has existed. That even applies to creation. God is the one before whom no creature is hidden from his sight, Hebrews uh, says, Second Chronicles says, Job says it, Matthew 10 says it. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So that tells us God knows everything that has actually happened. You may remember God also knowing the future uh, when, when it states in, in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, I am God, there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning, the ancient from the things not yet done. So God knows all things in actuality. Psalm 139, David reflects on the amazing detail of God's knowledge of our lives. And he says that our actions and our thoughts, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. He goes on to say, Lord, even before a word is on my tongue, oh Lord, you know it all together. He knows all the days of our lives, even before we're born. Your eyes see my unformed substance. In your book were written in Psalm 139, David says, every one of them, my, my days were written in your book before none of them came to be. So 
God's knowledge extends to himself first, but also to all things that have actually happened and will actually happen in the future. But let's, let's think about one other aspect. Does God even know things that could have potentially happened but did not? Does God know all things even possible? Not actual, but potential. And I think the answer is, is yes, he does. I think, I think scripture teaches God knows even things that could have potentially happened. Let me give you a couple of examples. You may remember David was running from Saul and, and he rescued the city of Keilah from the Philistines. And then he stayed for a while, 1 Samuel chapter 23, stayed for a while at Keilah. And David decided to ask God whether Saul would come to Keilah to attack him. And if Saul came, whether the men of Keilah would surrender him into Saul's hands or not. You may remember that story. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 11 through 13, listen to what David asks of God about what potentially may happen. Quote, will Saul come down at your, as your servant has heard, O Lord, the God of Israel? Please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose, departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition, end quote. So God told David what potentially could have happened, but did not. Here's a second example. You may remember in the New Testament. Jesus stated that Tyre and Sidon would have repented if Jesus' own miracles had been done there like they were in other places. Matthew eleven twenty one. 21, Jesus said, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in, in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So he is saying, Jesus is saying what potentially would have happened, but did not happen. So God's knowledge is not only of what actually did happen or will happen in the future. God even knows what could have potentially happened, but did not. That's amazing knowledge, isn't it? The, the, this fact, if you think about it, is is amazing. God has an incredibly complex and varied universe, but he knows every single thing that does happen, will happen, or even potentially could happen. My family and I went to the, went to the aquarium, the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago a while back, and we saw, my goodness, just fish after fish, species and variations, and it's, it's remarkable, but, but you know, there are thousands upon thousands of other variations or kinds of animals or fish that God could have created, 
but he did not. And God's infinite knowledge even includes details of possible creations and what they could have been like, even though they never happened. David says, such knowledge is way too wonderful for me. Isaiah 55, 9, Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways than our ways. Now, God is aware of everything, and I believe he's aware of everything all in one instant or one moment. He doesn't have to stop and calculate. For example, if God wanted to tell us the number of grains of sand on the seashore or the number of stars in the sky, he would not have to stop and count them all up quickly like he has some giant computer or he would not have to call to mind something that he had previously known because God always knows in every instant everything, actual, potential, or possibly or future. He does not have to reason to conclusions or ponder carefully before he answers. Psalm 90 verse 4 tells us he knows everything from beginning to end. He, he never learns and he never forgets. Now, hold on. Someone may object and say, wait, wait a minute, Pastor. God does forget because he said in Isaiah 43, 25, I will remember your sins no more. So God forgets them, right? Well, passage like, passages like these can, can be certainly understood to mean that God will never again let the knowledge of our sins come into play in any part as he relates to us, or he forgets them in relation to us. But as far as within himself, God knows everything. Now, this fact leads us to the question of what does God know about future human choices? If God knows everything that will happen, how in the world can my choice be a free choice? And that's a legitimate question. That's a great question. <clears throat> if God knows everything, then am I really free to make free choices as a human being? And I believe the answer is yes. How do we reconcile those two together? Well, we'll talk more about it whenever we get into to God's providence and also whenever we get into human choice. Uh, we'll talk about that later on, just an entire podcast. But I believe the Bible does not teach a predeterminism or a fatalism that everything is predetermined, so therefore we don't have any choices, so therefore our choices have no consequences, or everything is predetermined, so whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do. Whatever is going to be is going to be. In fact, I heard that growing up. My grandmother used to say all the time, well, whatever is going to be is going to be. And I believed it as a boy and until I started studying Scripture and realizing that's not really the case. I, I have the freedom to choose, and I have free choices that sometimes cause outcomes to be different. Richard Rice, um, he believes, in, in Clark Pinnock and, and other theologians, in what is called open theism. 
Open theism means there are some things out in the future God does not know yet because those choices have not been made. Now, I don't agree with open theism. I'll tell you why in a moment. But let me just talk about the viewpoint of open theism, that there are some theologians that believe God does not know everything because all human choices have not been made yet. Richard Rice says, quote, God knows a great deal about what will happen, but God does not know the content of future free decisions because decisions are not there until they occur, end quote. Clark Pinnock says God knows everything that can be known at the time, but that free choices would not be something that can be known even by God until they come into being. Well, that's called open theism, and, and I believe open theism even limits who God is. I think such a position is unsatisfactory because it ultimately means God is ignorant of all future human choices, and that's contrary to, to much of the Bible. Open theism would mean God does not even know what the stock market's going to do tomorrow or who's going to be elected president in 2024, or who's going to be saved, or what I'm going to have lunch for lunch tomorrow until I decide. And so I think that is, is a teaching that the Bible, it does not go there. Such a God is not truly omniscient if he, if there, <laughs> he learns billions of new facts every day as he watches humans begin to make choices. So I believe God can know choices without predetermining our choice. He still gives us the freedom to choose, but yet he can still know what our choices are. Bruce Ware has provided an extensive and compelling critique of open theism in his book entitled God's Lesser Glory. And in this book that was produced in 2000, um, he talks about, particularly Isaiah 40, verses, uh, chapter 40 through 48, the, the true God knows and declares the future before it even occurs. So I don't believe that, that open theism it limits, it is accurate because it limits God's knowledge. T scripture teaches the communicable attribute of God he is all-knowing. He is omniscient. Now let's talk about the next, before we close, the next communicable attribute of God, and that is God's goodness. God's goodness. Sometimes in systematic theology, God's goodness is taught in conjunction with other attributes of God, such as His love or His mercy or His patience or grace or some other attribute of God, but I want to give God's goodness its own word here for a few moments before we close this podcast. What does it mean to say that God is good? Well, I believe that it means that God is worthy of approval. In one sense, we can say that anything that is truly good should be worthy of approval by us. But in a more ultimate sense, we are not free to decide by ourselves what is worthy of approval and what is not. We're fallen creatures, so 
we're not qualified to state what is worthy of approval. So ultimately, therefore, God's being and actions are perfectly worthy of his own approval. He is therefore the final standard of good. And that's kind of what Jesus talks about whenever he's talking to the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler says, good master, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response in Luke 18, 19 was, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In other words, saying, if you don't believe I'm God, then why do you call me good? Only God is good. And the psalmist frequently talks about the goodness of God. Psalm 100 verse 5 uh, talks about the Lord is good. Psalm 106 says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so God's, one of his attributes is goodness. But, but what is good? Well, good is what God approves. So we may ask then, well, why is what God approves good? And the answer is because God approves it. It's kind of a circular argument because he is the only standard of goodness, his own character, and his approval is whatever's consistent with his character. So we can't determine what's good. Only God can. And he declares himself to be good. Now, we see evidence of this in all of creation. Genesis 1.31 God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The psalmist connects the goodness of God with the goodness of his actions. Did you notice that? Psalm 119, verse 68, you are good and you do good. So Lord, teach me your statutes. Psalm 104 is an excellent example of praise to God for his goodness in creation. While many psalms, such as Psalm 106, 107, gives thanks to God for his goodness in his actions. Paul does the same, Romans 12, 2. You may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Now, the Bible also tells us that God is the source of all good in the world. You remember the passage, James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. God does only good things for his children. We read in Psalm 84, verse 11, no good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. And in the same context, in which Paul assures us that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Romans 8, 28. And he goes further, Romans 8, 32. He who does not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not graciously give us all things? So the Bible tells us that not only does God define what is good, he gives his Children, what is good? Folks, I know many of you may look at your life and you say, I don't know why this is happening or that is happening, but 
as a believer in Jesus, you must know that your father, number one, he is good within himself. He's worthy of approval and his character is good and everything he is is good. And he gives you good gifts. It may look to you like this is not good at all, but in God's estimation, he is giving you good gifts. One other thought before we close. Since this is a communicable attribute of God and one that he shares with us, since God is good and gives good gifts to his children, we in turn as his children should do good. Paul writes, Galatians 6.10, as you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We realize God is the definition and the source of all good. And when we realize that, we will want to do good as well. And that's why Psalm 73 talks about, Lord, whom in, in heaven do I have but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. That goodness that God is extends to me as his child. So God being good, worthy of approval, giving good gifts to his children, then in turn places that spirit within me and I most feel alive. I most feel like God when I in turn do good to others. Have you ever wondered why it feels so good to do good things? It's because you're sharing the attribute of your father who is good as well. Well, I hope this has uh, informed and maybe challenged you and maybe allowed you to think of God's omniscience and God's goodness in a, in a, in a different way. I hope you'll join us for the next podcast. I'll be talking about two more of God's communicable attributes. We have a great God and serve a great God. And I hope today that you will experience the goodness of your father. God bless you. We'll see you next week.